You're listening to HSBC Talks Business. Learn how businesses like yours are leveraging a wide range of banking solutions to maximise their success and how HSBC is helping them. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Inspiring Progressive Business, a podcast series for SMEs. Join us for insights from inspirational business leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts on key topics of importance to your business. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are joining us from in the world. A very warm welcome. My name is Patricia Gomes, and I have the pleasure of leading HSBC's commercial banking business in the MENAT region. And a special thank you to our speakers for joining us and sharing their stories and their words of wisdom today. We're going to learn how three business owners have changed not just their company, but made an impact to the world with ESG. So it is my pleasure today to be joined by Nadal Haddad, CEO of Al Bayadr International. We have Lindsay Simpson, founder and CEO of 55 Redefined, and Yang Liu, founder and CEO of Just Wears. So Nadal, Lindsay, and Yang, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about what your companies do. Nadal, if I can start with you, please. Hi, Patricia. Thank you very much for having us here. My name is Nidal Haddad. Uh, I am the CEO and founder of Alveader Group of Companies. We are a UAE-based company. We have started 31 years back in Dubai. We started with food packaging uh, as a core business. And a few years later, we transferred our company to include the detergents and the food products. We have sustainability at our core, and we were among the first companies in the region who start steps into sustainability, which happened 20 years back. We have a strong R&D center, and we have innovation as well at the core of the business. We were able to obtain 10 patents from United States Patent Office. We are recognized by many uh, innovation organizations around the world, like Science Canada, and like the EU, and like the, the UK, and, lo- and some regional and local uh, organizations here. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Nadal. Thank you very much. Lindsay, I'm going to come to you next. Tell us about 55 Redefined. Thanks, Patricia. Well, we're a new startup, so unlike Nadal, we haven't been going for 30 years, and we only launched to market seven months ago in September last year. So 55 Redefined incorporates three customer brands. So we have a business called Life Redefined, which is for exciting, inspirational stories and support for today's over 50 generation. We then have Jobs Redefined, which is a UK-wide job board for over 50 candidates and employers that are keen to engage with that demographic. And then we have Work Redefined, and that's our B2B channel supporting employers globally around combating ageism and helping them to attract, retain, retrain over 50s talent. Thank you, Lindsay. And Yang, tell us all about Just Wears. So hi, everyone. My name is Yang. I am founder of Just Wears. We are a UK-based direct-to-consumer brand creating the most comfortable underwear for men with sustainable materials and ergonomic designs. And uh, you made here, like Just Wear's underwear is just our first product line. 
behind our tongue-in-cheek brand, our core focus is to really bring the next generation sustainable, biodegradable natural materials into everyday menswear. So to help more consumers shop with environmental friendly products and to really deliver the most comfort, confidence, and fun to men around the world by using sustainable materials into your day-to-day life. Brilliant. Thank you, Yang. So quite a diverse range of panelists that we have here today, both in terms of, of years in business as well as industries. So let's get into it. I'm going to come to each of you again, and I'm going to start with Yang this time. Yang, tell us a little bit about what is your business's purpose and mission? Yeah, sure. Our whole mission about the business is to become the global leader to drive sustainable, comfortable movement. And how we do that is really we want to deliver comfort, confidence, and fun to men around the world with a really premium-made sustainable product, with really fun, tongue-in-cheek brand to engage with people, to make people's life better together. And ultimately, as we engage with more consumers, we're taking the opportunity to actually educating and nurture the market with the whole idea of shifting your purchase behavior to more environmental-friendly options. And eventually, within the, as a collective, as a consumer, we'll make a big impact to actually drive a force, be corporate to change their product line, to make more sustainable product available to all consumers. Brilliant, brilliant. Fantastic. A real, a real movement, Yang. Lindsay, what about you? What is your business's purpose and mission? Yeah, of course. Well, we're on a quest, actually, Patricia, which is to redefine life after 50. So we're creating innovative solutions to enable people to live longer, more filling lives. And in doing so, we aim to combat Britain and the world's biggest challenge, which is an aging population. So I know this is a global podcast. And and so if you looked at Western society across all of those territories, a child born today will on average live to 103. Gerontologists and scientists all accept that the adult is walking around the planet somewhere today that will comfortably survive beyond the years of 150. Yet the world hasn't moved on. We still have this ageist attitude to growing old. It is different in different territories. So our mission as an organization is to become the the world's most trusted brand to professional over 50s, but also those companies that wish to engage with those individuals. Lindsay, that's that's brilliant. A real mission there that you have, uh, and we'll get onto it a little bit later in terms of, you know, the profit and the mission and how those two things kind of come together. But let me come to you, Nadal, and ask you as well, in terms of your business's purpose and mission, how would you describe that? See, from the first beginning when we started our business, Patricia, we we started in this young country. You know, the UAE is only 50 years old and we are 31 years old. So we have been um, for a long time in such a young country. And when we started, the country saw a lot of transformation at the, the, the social and the, at the way of living. The people there in the beginning, only men, they were working and then with life getting tougher and everybody wants to have his share in life, uh, you know, women, men. Uh, there was a need for reinventing the convenience. And this is how we, we, we described our mission. We reinvented the convenience by giving the, the possibility for food to go, to go to the offices, to go 
from supermarket to the houses, to go from restaurants to, to the offices or to, to the houses. But uh, the purpose of the organization, you know, without knowing it, honestly speaking, we are always a social company. We always believe that you cannot be a part of a place and you just take. You have always to interact. You have to give back. You you have to uh, to, to 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 add value to the place, to add scientific value, social value. You know, from day one, with, without knowing that 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 term ESG at that time. You know, when it came to sustainability, I would say we came 11 years later because we are 31 years. All 20 years back, we came to sustainability. Then we were among the, the, the very uh, first few companies who were aware of sustainability, and we were led as a purpose by sustainability. I would say we are led by social uh, responsibilities, even without knowing uh, you know, the ESG uh, terms. Brilliant, Nadal. A, a true pioneer in the S of ESG, right? A true pioneer in this region. But that, that's brilliant. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Lindsay, I'm going to have to come back to you because you really piqued my interest with your uh, with your story on 55 Redefined. You touched upon how the shape of our workforce is changing and how um, growing past the age of 55, and you, you threw out some, some significant numbers there. How does 55 Redefined connect this change to ESG values? Yeah, of course. Well, one thing to add just a bit more colour on the, the nature of the challenge we have globally around ageing. So I mentioned the fact that a child born today will on average live to 103. We've added 30 healthy years to life expectancy in just the last century. When you overlay that with record low birth rates in every region around the world, what's happening is actually a shrinking working age population. The working age, so 16 to 64-year-olds, is going to shrink between 22 and 28% over the next 20 years. And we know that because we now have the birth rate. So we know when people will be reaching into the marketplace. In that same time frame where that working age population is shrinking, so let's say on average is 25%, the over 60s population is growing by 40%. So we have a significant shift. And so what's happening around ESG is obviously this is a huge social challenge around an aging population. But then when that comes to look at the ESG agenda of boards of corporates, large and mid-sized, what we're finding is that they're using the S to look at how do they create a sustainable workforce. And so if you're going to have what's currently four generations, but increasingly going to be five generations working along side by side with each other, that creates complexity. It creates leadership challenges of how to motivate and engage teams of people that are 40 years apart in age. It creates challenges around the physical nature of work and the flexibility that we encourage in work, of which the pandemic has actually accelerated the pace of change around flexible working and options, which has actually helped us enable us to create work options for over 50s, 60s and 70s. So what we're doing is working with companies that are saying, how do we create a sustainable workforce? So if they proactively attract over 50s, over 60s into new roles into their company, they see a reduction in attrition of their existing workforce because those people are no longer feeling that they're going to be past it or pushed out the door when they reach a certain age in time. We're also seeing intergenerational 
diversity in the same way as diversity in every other characteristic. You know, diverse teams make better business decisions. And so having people of all ages working alongside each other with different experiences, you know, that have lived through recessions, that have lived through high inflation and all these things that are hitting us now, you make better decisions. And so it isn't about doing the right thing because you have a recruitment need. It's actually about the fact that you will not be able to grow your business unless you embrace older workers as a core component. And in the UK environment, within two years, one in every two members of the workforce will be aged over 50. So hopefully, Patricia, that gives you a bit of a feel for why ESG and then social and then sustainable workforces comes really into play on that agenda. It absolutely does. And you've really highlighted the fact that it's a business imperative. It is not about being, you know, the right thing to do or the nice thing to do or the popular thing to do. It is a business imperative if you want to relate to your client base, because we all want to do that. Um, uh, and um, very, very clear, Lindsay. Thank you. In terms of the the offering from a 55 redefined perspective, um, just share some insights into how you shaped your offering specifically to help businesses in this regard. Of course. Well, well, one of the first things we did, we did a lot of research around the topic. So we was trying to understand why is this an issue? And if I look at, say, the USA and the UK, the biggest issue is ageism at work. And so, you know, 37% of employers will not consider hiring an over 50s candidate because they mistakenly believe that they're going to get ill, for example. So we created age unconscious bias e-learning that teams can be rolled out to just knock out some of these biases around they're not digitally native, they lack energy and pace, they're going to get ill. These false stereotypes that create bad behavior in terms of bringing people in. We've also created the first age-inclusive accreditation for employers. So a charter of commitments that companies can sign up to about older workers, both their existing teams and new teams, and helping them with ways to create new ways of work. So, for example, in the UK, there's an international accountancy firm called Azets that were creating returnships for retired accountants and retired tax professionals that will only come and work for them two to three months a year. So they will cover them in their peak period, which is tax year end, where they struggle with staff. And then those people will be retired for the other nine months of the year creating a perfect sustainable workforce model that covers peaks and throws. And you can see how this can translate into retail and hospitality, say around festive periods and celebrations. As I say, there's been an increase in training. There's been support around accreditation and creating a standard around best practice and what does the data look like? What should it look like? Um, And then really what then flows out from that is then specific tools to help people attract over 50s. So job board and content advertising specifically targeted at that age group. Apprentice schemes for over 50s, where you're encouraging people to join organizations or industries with no prior experience in that sector. And so lots of positive changes happening. And we have we call them age pioneers. So we have a number of age pioneers. Most of the FTSE 250 in the UK are coming on board on this journey as they all try to find the ways of working that can mean that they do have this sustainable practice going forward. Brilliant. Breaking a lot of barriers there, Lindsay. I love it. Fantastic. Uh, Nadelle, I'm going to come to you next. Share with us how you've integrated sustainability into your business and, and how important and how passionate you are about that. See, uh, Patricia, first, uh, through two ways. The first way, we should not view sustainability as expenses. This is number one. 
Number two, we should not see or view sustainability as an option. It's a must, and it is an immediate must. Now, when we come to the first point that we should not view sustainability as expenses, we have started our first solar farm two years back, and we have generating now one megawatt from the solar farm, which is enough to give power to 150 average size villa. This is a lot of power from a solar farm. The savings from this solar farm is about 250,000 US dollars a year. When it comes to the treatment to the water, we have treated all the water in our seven factories. In one factory in Jebalali, we dropped the water usage to 65% because we are treating the water and the, and the remaining water enabled us to create a botanical garden of 240 trees, which cost us nothing because we are composting from the remaining. When we trim the trees, we are using the water and the fertilizers from the treatment plant, and we have a beautiful tree, beautiful garden of 240 trees with 700 tons of CO2 emission from this uh, specific garden. And we launched an initiative, we call it EcoBiadi, which consists of four R's. The first R is redesign. You know, when you look at the bottle or at the cup as a building, so you need to re-engineer it, to redesign it in a way that you use sometimes 35% less materials while we keep the same functional and mechanical attribute of the product. So you can have a paper cup that can take the same weight from inside, outside, vertical, horizontal, with 35%. If you redesign the product, that it has something like columns, like support the support points within the cup. So we saved a lot of money and we saved a lot of waste. So instead of using 10 kilograms per carton, now we are using six and a half kilograms per carton. When you know that the container is 2,000 carton, you reach to, 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 to huge numbers, how many containers per year, you know. All of these are savings. And the other ours is after redesign is re reduce, reuse, recycle. We are using in our plastic factory 1 million bottles every month from the beverage industry. We just bring them in. We uh, have a technology, we call it ABA. So the A is always the, the, the part which has direct uh, contact with the human and food. And the B is the recycled material. So we are not only a zero waste organization. We are helping other organizations to get rid, rid of, a lot of uh, a lot of waste. So there are a lot of models in sustainability uh, that you can make money. And you can take a part of the money and return it, and this is what we are doing, to the society through a social initiative. Now, that's amazing. Thank you so much. I mean, really, really inspiring. And I hope that our listeners can take some inspiration from this and some of your key messages. And I loved how you say that, you know, don't do sustainability as an expense. I'm going to follow up with a question for you. So, so we see, even for us as a bank at HSBC, we see companies that want to deal with us, want to understand what our ESG footprint is, what our values, what our purpose, what our mission is. So my question is, I'm, I'm going to come to you, Nadella, and again, I'm going to come to you next, is how do you see the ESG aspect in your business? And how important is that for you to win contracts and to secure business? Nadal first, please. Okay, thank you for the great question because one of the ESG is this session because we are here because you uh, appreciate the ESG and we became closer as a bank and uh, as a client. This is one thing. The other thing that I will tell you, all the stakeholders, without any exception, look up at the organization when the organization have ESG practices. 
not only the clients, not, not only the suppliers, not only the banks, not only the governments. The main thing are the talents within the organization. They are proud to be in such organization. And they feel secure and they feel that they belong to a place where it's not only commercial, a place where they can exist in harmony with their values, with their morals, not only with the income that they have. So that all the stakeholders will look up to, to, to an organization who has ESG practices. Yes. Thank you, Nadal. Thank you. Uh, Yang, um, I'm going to come to you next because you're, you're in a fascinating sector. But um, just quickly tell me about uh, the, the demand from a client perspective and you know, clients voting with their feet. How important do you see in your segment that it is to have an ESG business and to have ESG credentials as you look to uh, cater to your target market? So we are disrupting a heavy, like problematic industry by introducing and applying sustainable material to the market with a product like the underwear that everyone wears 24-7 every day throughout the whole year, right? And we all know pretty much you look around like over 90% of clothing in the world is either made of cotton or synthetic fabric. And we all know synthetic fabric are not biodegradable and they end up in the landfill and stay there for not just 100 years, for centuries without any solution to solve that. And also cotton, when we think about cotton, which made most of the product is the most thirsty plant in the world. Like, I don't know if you guys are aware, like it takes 10 liters of water to produce one kilogram of cotton. Just one piece of cloth we're wearing is a ton of water resource actually devoted behind the production. Not to mention the post-wear life stage with the microfiber problem or with like micropollution and the landfill pollution. All these problems are there since we produce the clothing, since we start to wear stuff. But the solution is not to stop wearing, right? It's not possible. So we have to really look for the source is how can we find alternative solution to produce the clothes that we wear every day. And when we first came into the market, so we are committed to sustainable production from day one when we start the business. As a small business, that is really challenging. It's very tricky because manufacturer has been around for long time compared to a small business. And to be able to have the leverage to ask your manufacturer to change their behavior is pretty much impossible. So as a small business, we have to choose a stand. Either we give up the core value we care about, really into this whole trend, or we have to pick a stand and say, no, we have to choose carefully and it's going to take a longer time, but we're going to eventually find the partner who actually appreciate, take sustainability into their uh, value chain as well. So this, when we had this whole idea or whole belief in our day-to-day business and we communicated that with customers, I was really surprised to see how well received by our consumers. We also find the pattern behind that is we talk a lot about sustainability across all the industry, but from consumer side, customers don't buy sustainability. They buy product that is made of su- sustainable process. So the need, the essential need for purchase is what people care about. But if we're able to not only solving their problem with our product first, also having this add-on value with made of sustainable, having the process, the whole manufacturing process is sustainable, that will start to embed this idea into their whole 
uh, thought process. And this is why we exist is we're not just here creating one more product for consumer. We're here to create a sustainable product that's solving their day-to-day life, improving their life quality. And this value proposition actually is become more and more valued by the end consumer. And that's fascinating. I'm really interested in how you compete in this space because what I'm hearing is you're here to change preferences. You're here to educate and change the preferences of consumers because, you know, they have a need for a product. They're looking for a product and you're trying to position your product and to educate, to change their preferences, to search for a sustainable option for their, meeting their need. Am I, am I hearing that correctly? I don't think we can enforce change happen. I think we are here to provide a sustainable alternative. You still have the choice to go to your local supermarket or high street to buy common client underwear as much as you want. But we are here to provide you a sustainable alternative and also so comfortable that the quality outbeat other existing products. And making your purchase not only like benefit you, but also do good for the planet. And we're responsible for that whole process. That is how we get our customer involved in this mission, in this journey of your action can make a change. Brilliant. Your action can make a change. Profit and purpose. I love it. Okay, I'm going to come back to Lindsay. I'm going to go to each one of you actually with this question now, um, uh, which is in addition to your industry-specific goals on sustainability, what is your view on the wider opportunities that come from having a fundamentally sustainable business? Lindsay, to you first, please. Well, I think Nadal touched on one of those points, which is around talents. You know, we only have businesses and we can only grow businesses if we attract and retain talented people to come and work for us. And ESG is a great way of doing that. And when you then attract people that are interested in ESG, they start thinking laterally about products, services, ways of working to make everything embedded as ESG. So an example in our business, so in our life redefined platform, um, we have a refer a friend program. And so when we launched to market, that refer a friend program was providing a bottle of champagne for every five friends that you referred onto the platform because our audience are quite affluent. And so there was a, a, a lens view that this world, then champagne is a good fit. And, you know, and quite rightly, a, a very junior member of our, you know, our team came in and said, well, why are we buying, posting, packaging champagne when we've got an affluence audience that in the nicest possible sense don't need us to buy them champagne? So why don't we do a sustainable alternative? So we switched that Refer a Friend program to partner with Ecology and we plant 25 trees for every friend that's referred. Yeah, I love it. Talent, bringing new ideas. Uh, Nadal, how about you? What's your view in terms of wider opportunities that you've discovered from having a sustainable business? I would say again that I agree again with Lenti. It's uh, keeping the talents. You know, I remember some of our uh, good staff, they were offered better uh, income outside and they, they, they told me, we feel like we are driving in my path. We don't want to leave the organization. You know, they, they don't jump to any other business. Other And in our business, many, many companies, many big uh, customers now they would not accept a company like us on the supply at least before talking about prices if we are not sustainable. So companies who are not sustainable and they think 
that they are saving money by not being sustainable. They are shrinking and they will jeopardize their existence. So I would say it's not an option again, not only from the ecosystem, it's from the business ecosystem as well. So it's a matter yeah. of be or not to be. I could definitely relate to that from an HSBC perspective in terms of the attraction of talent and the retention point that you mentioned, Nadal. Yeah. People want to work, especially in the banking industry, right, where yeah. uh, people want to work for a financial institution that they can link their corporate purpose to a personal purpose. You know, finding that link is really important yes. for people. Um, Yang, uh, how about you in terms of, you know, any other opportunities that you have found from having a sustainable business? Yeah, absolutely. But in my view, the biggest sustainability challenge are not technical. They're about leadership, governance, like creativity, courage, and the collaboration. And the biggest opportunity we have seen, probably more than one, is by from day one, when we are embodying sustainability in, in our business model, we are also setting up our governance, ESG governance policies before ESG become a buzzword, right? And we are going out to speak to investors and we present this very clear, crystal clear governance in place in our whole uh, company policies. They can see by investing in us how their investment to the return they, to the return to them and how their investment could actually apply their investment institutions ESG policies. And this just makes that conversation so much faster. And we are able to choose the investor who appreciate our value, who can stand behind us to support the longer mission. Yeah, I love the fact that you've touched on, you know, we, we, we have the three pillars, right? We had talked about customers. Then we went into our employees and talent and purpose and retention. And you touched on investors in your intervention right now, which is the third part of that, which is super important as well. And you're absolutely right, is the way to attract investors that are purpose-led as well and that wants to have an exposure and, and a commitment to this space is, is fascinating. So thank you very much. I want to ask each of you to give one piece of advice or one call to action to our audience um, in 30 seconds each. Lindsay, to you first. So from my perspective, it would be to look at your businesses through the lens that you yourself and your employees and your customers are going to be reaching 100 years old. And what changes does that mean that you need to make today to your workforce, to your products, to your services to enable that change effectively and you capitalize on that opportunity? Nadal. I said to the audience, uh, from a businessman, I'm not a scientist, uh, I'm not uh, running an NGO, I'm a businessman living in the real world, think sustainable, act sustainable now. And if you do that now, it's already late. You know, and sustainability will, be, will pay you back in money as well and from commercial perspective. Thank you, Nidal. Yang. Yeah, I would say, like, when we start a business, everyone will start with what problem do we solve? But I would super encourage you to take a moment to think about what problem do you create? And when you start, take that answer into the mission, because when you define your business purpose, the business purpose should make creating profit solution to profit while not profiting from creating problem. And this is the whole about thing about sustainability beyond just a technical solution. 
Well, there you go. You've heard the pearls of wisdom from our three speakers. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for joining us for HSBC Talks Business. To learn more about anything you heard today, please visit business.hsbc.com.